Well, what an incredible blessing it is to uh, see you guys this morning. As you can tell, this is not Bill Holtz with a shaved head. All right. Uh, I don't know if anybody wants to see that or not. I do. We should convince him to shave his head. What do you think? Can we do it? I doubt it. I doubt it. Anyway, so it's so glad to be here with you guys this morning. It's exciting to be able to sing worship with you. I want you guys to stop and consider that song that we just sang. Let, let's think about grace for a moment before we get moving. Grace is such an amazing thing. You realize what grace is. Grace is the unmerited favor of God upon your life. And so basically the way that grace is applied to you and I is the fact that when Jesus was on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he lived your life. Okay? And think about your sins. Think about what you've done because I'm there. I'm a sinner just with, along with you guys. I'm a sinner. I've blown it. I've messed up. And so on the cross... Jesus was treated as if he lived my life, but get this, this is grace. If you place your faith in the work of Jesus, then when you get to heaven, God will treat you as if you lived Jesus' life. That's grace. Isn't that incredible? And that's why we sing so passionately, because we know that we are getting something that we have no business getting whatsoever, and that is the love of God. And so as we look at that and think about that, I want you to open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. In just a moment, we're going to be there. But I'm wondering how many of you all have seen a bucket like this right here? Yeah, some of you guys may not. This is a paint bucket. Uh, if you were to ask my dad, he would say, you can't have enough of these buckets. All right, he's got stacks of them in his garage. And, and my mom would say, no, you can have too many. Throw them all away, right? I'm kind of inclined to think like my dad. I think there's a lot of great uses for this. For instance, uh, you don't have a stool to change the light bulb? There you go. All right, stand up there. You, you don't have any place to sit out and wherever you're at? Okay, great. You got a place to sit out. What a great thing that is. But you can use this bucket for so many amazing things, to put tools in, to carry more if you need to go, uh, to mix up joint compound or other kinds of stuff. Uh, I've even used two of these buckets to make a cyclonic air filter for my wood shop tools. All right, isn't that cool? All right, buckets can be used for a lot of great stuff, but you know what you do for buckets a lot of times is fill them up with water and go wash your car, all right? But have you ever noticed how heavy a five-gallon bucket is whenever you fill it up, all right? You're walking like this, okay, when it's full. But you know what else happens with a five-gallon bucket? And I, I love what REO White said, not to be confused with REO Speedwagon, uh, for you guys who know they are. REO White said this, the surest sign that you are carrying a full bucket is wet feet. Isn't that true? Anybody? Isn't that true? You're carrying around a full bucket, you're going to get wet. Your pants, your, your feet, they're going to get wet. But I think that that is a great analogy on our lives. When we are full of the things of God, other people are going to have the overflow of that. And we're going to have an overflow in our life of who God is. And so when we think about the goodness of God, he allows us to have this overflow when we are full of him. This is the idea that Bill's been sharing with us in the fruits of the Spirit. Right? When you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you are able to do things that are God-sized things, right? You're able to experience life in the way that it's meant to be lived, but it's important for us to know that you can't get there unless you have a full life of the things of God. And what are we to fill our life with? Scripture. This is an incredible book that God has provided for us to be able to hear his truth, to know his name, and experience salvation in what he has done. If we're going to have a full life in Christ, we must be in the Bible. It ought to direct our lives. It ought to impact our lives so much that we think differently in the world around us. We ought to think differently than the world because we have this word in our life. And our goal is to be able to get into the Bible 
so that the Bible gets into us. That's the goal that we ought to live, that the Bible becomes part of our thinking, part of who we are. And so I want us to take a look at Colossians chapter 3 and think about this idea of overflow. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to concentrate on 15 through 17, but we're going to start in verse 1. So follow along with me if you have your copy of Scripture. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's grace right there. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. And then he lists out several other things that you're supposed to put off, not have anything to do with in your life. And then in verse 12 he says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Above all these, put on love binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to the Father through him you know, it's almost impossible when you look at these lists of things that you're not supposed to do and that you are supposed to do. And oftentimes we can take a look at that and see, say, see, the Bible is just about do's and don'ts. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, listen, you once were lost in sin. You couldn't help doing those things. Take those off because you've experienced grace and now start living in the way that God has enabled you to live. There's a guy named Dwight Moody who was a pastor up in Chicago and he was asking people, he held up a clear glass and he asked a bunch of people, how can I get the air out of this glass? And one guy shouted out, put a hose in it and suck the air out. And he said, no, that would create a vacuum and it would crush the glass. And other people yelled all kinds of different things out to him and, and he said, listen, here's how you get the air out. He grabbed a pitcher of water. And he poured the water in. And he said, see, there's no more air in this glass. That's the same idea that Paul is telling to us right here. He said, listen, you've been saved. Therefore, because you have been saved, allow the, the sinful things to be pushed out of your life with the word of God and be filled with the good things of the word of God. And so the way that we have a life that will overflow is to be full of the person of the word, the power of the word, and the purpose of the word. We ought to be full of these things, the person, the power, and the purpose of the word. First thing I want you guys to recognize in this text is so amazing is the person of the word. And Paul says, as he opens up in verse 15, let, excuse me, uh, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now guys, we, we got to stop here and look at this idea of the peace of God. Let the peace of Christ rule. Rule in your hearts. The peace is such an amazing thing. See, we don't sometimes understand fully where we were without Jesus. You've got to understand, without Christ, we were at war with God. And a lot of people hear that and like, man, I went at war with God. I was doing my own thing. I was trying to be nice. I was just a good person. No, you were at war with God. You were at enmity with God. You were on the opposite side of God. As a matter of fact, let's look at the peace that we gain through Jesus. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have 
peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down with flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Guys, we have peace with God because of Jesus. But one of the passages that clearly depicts that better than a lot of them is right here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul says this, For in him, that's Jesus, in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, Look at this, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Guys, you guys, hear what he just said. You have peace with God. Doesn't that get you excited? You can walk out of this room knowing that I no longer am an enemy of God. I'm no longer at war with God. God has allowed me to experience peace with God. Man, that ought to get you excited. That ought to get you to a place in your life that you say, now I can face life. Now I can be full. Now I can experience the joy in life. Why? Because I have peace with God. Guys, do you understand what that means? You're no longer God's enemy because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That ought to affect you in such a way that you say, I want to live differently. I want to pursue Jesus differently because he's allowed me to experience peace. John MacArthur, he says it this way, the war between believer and God is over and the treaty was paid by the blood of Christ. You guys aren't awake. You guys aren't listening. Did you not hear what I said? The war with God is over. And the treaty was paid by the blood of Jesus. You didn't have to pay for that treaty. Jesus gave it to you. Peace. And so Paul says, let the peace of God rule over you. Jesus brought peace so that we might have access to God, so that we might approach the throne of God, so that we might be able to have a personal message from God. Did you know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is written for you? This is God's personal letter to you to say, hey, I want to speak to you, believer. I want you to hear my heart, believer. This is what we have in the Bible. We have the ability to look at the truth of Jesus Christ and know that it is a personal message for us, all because of the peace of Jesus that he's provided for us. But he not only says that, he says, let the peace of Christ rule. Now, there we're getting a little bit uh, invading into our lives. People don't like other people to rule over them, right? Thank the Lord, we don't have a king in the United States of America. We have representative democracy Right, somebody that gets to speak on our behalf things that we would like for them to say. The king in, in other countries, they might not care what the people say. So we don't like people to rule over us. We don't like that idea of ruling. But Paul very clearly says you ought to let the peace of Christ, the person of Christ, the word of Christ, rule over you. This is an interesting word in the Greek. This word rule literally has the idea of being an umpire. Okay, how many of you guys watch football this weekend? Don't lie. Okay, I know every one of you guys watched some sort of a game. You know, on the field, you've got these weird guys in striped shirts called referees. One of them's actually called an umpire. What do those guys do? They make sure that it's a fair fight. They make sure that everything is going the way that it should. I remember when I was playing football over here uh, at Putnam City North, and there was a guy that my mom had worked with for years. He was all about yay tall. Okay, 
uh, and, and I knew him pretty well, and he would ref games every once in a while. So I was playing a JV game, and he ended up refing that game. And so we're playing the game, and all of a sudden, blew the a whistle, threw the flag in the air, and said, it's a foul on number 74. Of course, I towered over the guy, so I walked over to him, and I'm, I'm sure my coach was like, stay away from the ref, you're going to get us in trouble. Right? But I said, man, what are you throwing a foul on me for, Chico? What's the deal? Because I knew him. I was going to mess with him, and he said, because it was a penalty. Get back there and do it right. Okay, that, that's what umpires do. Listen, that's what the Word of God should do in our life. It should have the ability to throw a flag on our life when we are not living according to the Word, according to how God would call us to live. So letting the peace rule in our lives is allowing it to show us where we are wrong so that we can change, so that the Word would blow a whistle on us and throw a flag and say, try that again, Drew. That's what the Word should do. We should allow the Word to dictate how we think, how we live, how we do things in our life. Jesus provided peace with God for us, not so that we could get heaven and then go do what we want. I know there's a lot of people that want that. Hey, just, just give me heaven and then let me live the way I want to live. But Paul says here in this letter, you've got to make sure and allow this Word to rule over you. It's the thing that should guide you. I want you to understand this. The world today desires for you to compartmentalize your faith so that you leave it inside of your head or your heart or your home. As a matter of fact, in 2015, there was a New York Times article, a guy named Frank Bruni. He literally said this. He's all for religious liberty so long as it is confined to the pew, the homes, and the hearts of the people. You see, we've got to understand that the Word should rule over us to the point where we can't contain it because it dictates how we live our life because we desire to please that one who has given us amazing grace. And so we ought to say, I don't care what the world has to say. I desire to be faithful to my Savior in all things because he has provided the very things that I needed most. That's the person of the Word. The power of the Word, verse 16, and I think this is a verse everyone ought to highlight in your Bible. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is the power of the word. It's an amazing thing. And I think that Paul puts this verse strategically after all of these commands because all throughout chapter 3, it's called imperatives or commands. He's commanding a believer to do certain things and not do other things. And in the midst of all of that, he says, here's how you do it. You fill your bucket up with the word of God. You fill your life up with the word of God so that it begins to overflow, so that you begin to experience the truth of Jesus, so that it moves you in a certain way that you might be able to experience life. Everything has its power source, right? Your body has a power source. And we Southern Baptists are good at eating, aren't we? Okay, forget three meals a day, give me five, give me six, right? We Southern Baptists know how to eat because it, it's the thing that fuels us. And so everybody has to fuel their body in order to keep going. We also know that a lamp, these lights require electricity. They need its power in order for you to sit in a room and have light shown upon you. We know that a car requires gasoline. Forget this electric stuff. I want a gas-powered car, right? How about anybody else? Okay. So we have to have fuel in our, in our cars in order for it to go. Do you realize that the Christian has to have its power too? This is the power some of you guys may feel run down today. Some of y'all may feel like you don't have the juice that you need, the energy that you need in order to accomplish the difficult task that you may have this week or something that may have happened that drained you. This is your power source, Christian. 
This is where you're going to find fuel to give your soul the very thing that it needs in order for you to be able to live life in such a way to have power and joy and, check this out, fulfillment. Can I tell you that every person in this room desires satisfaction and fulfillment? Every person desires to be satisfied in their heart. The Christian will never find satisfaction outside of this right here. This is the ultimate satisfaction for every believer if you've experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the Word has so much power that a recent study found that the life of someone who engages in Scripture four times or more a week looks radically different from a life of someone who doesn't have the Bible in their life at all. In fact, the lives of Christians who do not engage the Bible most days of the week are statistically the same as the lives of non-believers. Back to the Bible research is, is what this uh, brought up. Now, here's some amazing statistics. Look at this. Someone who engages in the Bible four more times a week is 228% more likely to share their faith with others. Isn't that incredible? 228%. The next one is this. 407% more likely to memorize Scripture if you're in the Bible four times a week or more. And then we get into real-life situations. If somebody's in the Bible four times a week or more, you're 59% less likely to view pornography. And can we all admit that that is a serious problem in our country today? And can I tell you that that's probably the number one reason for divorce in the country today? Uh, because it's so pervasive and evil that it will destroy life from the inside out. Not only the person that's viewing it, but every person in that person's life will affect or experience the effects of that damage. 59% less likely to view that. 30% less likely to struggle loneliness. Guys, isn't that amazing? The people that would say, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling lonely. Four times a week or more when they're in the Word of God, they tend to not feel that way. Why? Because their Father is with them. The Spirit of God walks with them in that case. And so we know that power comes through being in the Word. And so you cannot have a powerful Christian life if you're unplugged from the Word, that's just reality. If you're going to desire to have that full life, that full bucket that overflows, you've got to be in the Word. You've got to experience filling up your life with this truth so that it naturally overflows in our life. And we find that joy. Paul uses a word very clearly that depicts this idea. He says, let the Word of Christ dwell. Now, we think about dwell, and it's this idea of make your home in to pitch a tent and live there. But this idea of this word dwell, it's a Greek word, and I guarantee you've seen this Greek word in the store. You're like, wait a second, what are you talking about? If you've ever walked down the dairy aisle and looked for some Greek yogurt, there's a particular brand of Greek yogurt called oikos. Anybody? It's a Greek word that literally means house. And so Paul here is saying, listen, you make your house and your home in the Word of God. You live there. Guys, we love our homes, don't we? Man, we do all kinds of great and ornate things to our homes. We may set up a pergola in the backyard or dig a pool or whatever it is. We love to go to our house, right? We wake up in the morning, we have breakfast, we leave and we go to work. Lock that door, head on out, and inevitably, you know what you do? You come home. 4.30, 5 o'clock, whenever it is comes and you're like, hey, I'm ready to go home. I want to go around my people. I want to go around my house. I want to have the comfort of my home. How about whenever you travel? Anybody ever traveled long distance? Five, six days, you're out on the road. What do you want more than anything else? Give me my bed. All right, I want to go home and sleep in my own bed. Anybody ever said that? 
Listen, we ought to view the Word of God the same way, that it is our home, that we live in it so much that we long for it when we're away from it. That's the idea that Paul's saying here. That's what he's depicting when he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. You make your home in it and allow it to make its home in you. This is how we're to live in the Word. But then he not only says that, but he says we should dwell in the Word richly. It's this idea of extravagance. This idea that it overflows in us, that it it lives so deeply in us, that there's so much of it. Any of you guys ever used to watch cartoons? When I was a kid, my brother and I would wake up at like 5.36 in the morning. My parents would say, go away, go turn the cartoons on. Because back in the day, you had cartoons from about 6 in the morning until noon, every day. So we'd set out our sleeping bags and we would sit there and watch cartoons. Well, well, I remember watching a cartoon one time that was uh, Scrooge McDuck. Anybody seen Scrooge McDuck? Donald Duck's uncle, his, his grumpy old uncle. That was filthy rich. When I was a kid, there was a, com- uh, a cartoon that had three great nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Right? And it was always depict Scrooge McDuck with his great nephews. But Scrooge would be doing a few things that were like, that's weird. Matter of fact, you start thinking about how in the world did he do that? Because he would swim through his gold. Right? How can you swim in gold? I don't know, but Scrooge McDuck did it, and he even did uh, a diving into it and went under the, the gold coins, right, and came back out. Or he'd be walking around, and $100 bills would be flowing out of his pocket as he would walk because he was so stinking rich, right? This is the idea behind how we are to allow the Word of God to fill us. We don't think about that sometimes, but the reality is we ought to, we ought to be pumping the Word of God into our life so much that it naturally comes out of our mouth. We naturally talk about it. We naturally allow it to influence or even dictate our actions. We allow it to be something that influences our relationship. And this is the point that the overflow begins to happen. When you pump your life with the Word of God, you begin to overflow in certain ways where Paul says you teach and admonish one another. Now, a lot of you guys in this room would say, I'm not going to teach anybody. I can't teach anybody. But you know what? Paul says when you allow the Word of God to dwell in your hearts, you'll teach people simply by saying, hey guys, you, you, you won't believe what I read today. You've got to listen to the goodness of God and what I sang about. You've got to listen to how God has allowed me to experience the amazing grace. Look at this word that he's given to us. And so when we have that in our lives, it's only natural for us to teach one another. But he also says that we have the ability to admonish each other. Now, that's, that's where we don't like it. Most of the time we're like, man, get out of my business. I don't want anything to do with what you have to say to me. You just leave me alone, right? But this idea of admonish is basically the idea of I want to get in somebody's face lovingly to say, brother, you're doing that wrong. Sister, you've blown it. This is not what God calls us to do. That's admonishment. It's not a matter of us trying to beat people up. It's a matter of us trying to say, I want to help you get closer to Christ and you're moving away. Therefore, I want to not only teach you but admonish you. It's basically this idea where we throw the flag on somebody else's life whenever we see them moving outside of the lines of Scripture, right? It's not that we're trying to beat them up. It's trying to help them do it right and live right. And so that's how we're to live. We can teach and admonish. We ought to be willing to help one another take one step closer to Jesus. That's the goal of the church. That's what you and I ought to be about, helping one another grow closer with Jesus. How do we get there? Well, obviously, you read it. That's easy. You know, at one point, and I'm sure it's not the case anymore, this used to be the number one selling book in the United States of America. I'm sure it's fallen from that spot at this point. But there's a lot of Christians that would say, hey, man, I've got six Bibles. I've got an ESV. I've got an NIV. I've got an NASB. I've even got a Greek copy. Great. Do you read it? Listen, if you just have a copy and you never do anything with it, it's pointless. 
Same with a bucket. If you never fill it with water, it doesn't do you much good, right? We've got to make sure that we are reading it. But we also need to meditate upon it. It's one thing just to simply read through it. It's a whole other thing to start to think about it. You know what meditation is? Meditation is the idea that you would chew on it, mull on it, think about it in your mind. Okay, and I'm reminded by uh, a cow. You know how many stomachs a cow has? Was it three or four? I forget. But you know a a cow, what they do is they eat grass, and then they spit up, cut in their mouth, and they chew it again. The same grass that they've already chewed and swallowed, they eat it again later on the day. And that might even spit it up a third time to chew it again. Isn't that nasty? But that's a great illustration of how we ought to allow the Word of God to meditate, that we ought to meditate on the Word of God. We ought to read it in the morning and have it in our mind later in the day and swallow it and then have it in our mind later again in the day and so that we can experience the change that comes to the Word. We ought to memorize it. Most importantly, we ought to obey it. Isn't that a novel concept? God said it, therefore I'm going to do it because He's God. All right, we ought to do that. The last thing I want you to see is this, the purpose of the Word. Really quickly, the purpose of the Word. What's the purpose of the Bible? It's to transform you, to make you look more like Jesus. How does that happen? Because I'm reading it, meditating it, and obeying it. We need to make sure that we see the purpose of this is that we might experience sanctification. And that is the the gradual process that we might become more like Christ every day that we live. The purpose of the Word is to ultimately turn our focus and our entire life to Jesus. Can I tell you that this is a hymn book? It's all about Him. Jesus didn't save you to make much of you. He saved you so that you would see how great He is and so that you would make your life about Him. We're to do all that we can to turn our hearts and our minds to this amazing Savior. So getting into the Word means that we have a committed life. It means that we're all in. We saw baptism, and if you notice their t-shirt, it says all in. You know what that means? It means I want to commit my life to Jesus, and I want to give all that I am to Him so that I might experience satisfaction because He's the only one that can give it. I've got a committed life, a complete worship that I will do everything I can to make my life honor Him, that I will have a continual thanks. You know, we live in a generation today that there are people that are entitled. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, I know my kid, they're really entitled. I can't believe how entitled. What about you? We can all think that we deserve certain things. Can I tell you what you ultimately deserve? Separation from God in a place called hell, but he's given us grace so that we might experience hope and salvation in him. Isn't that amazing? And so when we think about this amazing uh, purpose of the word, it's there in order that we might experience life in Christ. The way that we accomplish this is to be full of the person of the word, the power of the word, and the purpose of the word. The Bible is your source to having a full life, but you must personally get into it in order for it to change you. You guys probably have heard of a man named George Foreman. Makes these nice little red grills, right? You can use inside. Made him famous, those, those red grills, right? No, that's not what made him famous. You know what made him famous was boxing and the fact that he named every one of his kids George in some form or fashion. What's up with that? Okay. But he was a boxer, and so back in 1974, he was actually going to go to Africa to fight Muhammad Ali. And so one of his friends said, hey, listen, I want to give you a Bible. That'll, that'll give you good luck when you go to fight this guy. And he said, um, great, I'm all about good luck stuff. I've got good, I've got uh, good luck pennies. I've got good luck charms. I've got all kinds of good luck stuff. I need all the luck I can get. And so he takes the Bible and you know what happened in the fight? He lost. He got beat by the greatest. Right? He got stung like a bee and 
floated on like a butterfly, whatever that saying might be, okay? But after the fight, this is what he said. He said, after I lost the fight, I threw the Bible away. I never opened it. I thought the Bible didn't help me win, so why do I need it? I thought I'd get the power simply from owning it. Listen to what he says. I didn't realize that I needed to read it and believe what it said and obey it. And he goes on and he says, since then, I've come to an understanding that the Bible is my roadmap, not my good luck charm. Isn't that awesome? George Foreman's confession was that his bucket was empty of the word of God. And simply having a copy in his hand is not what God intended. He had an empty bucket because he never opened the Bible, but when he opened it, listen, the Bible filled him up, and I can only guess that he began to overflow with joy in order to point people to Jesus. That's, that's what I would hope happened in his life. Can I ask you a question this morning? Is your bucket empty? Is your bucket empty to the point where you would say, I just need hope. I need something to, to, to fill me up so that I can experience some joy. Drew, you, you mentioned satisfaction. I want satisfaction. It comes through knowing Jesus by reading his word, by experiencing life through his word. Are you full of his word? Does your life overflow? I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to have a short time of invitation. And as we do, I want you to stop and I want you to think, God, what is it that you would call me to do? Maybe, maybe you're at a place in your life that you would say, listen, I don't really know that I've ever experienced faith in Jesus Christ. I just need Jesus to begin to fill me and forgive me and give me that grace you've talked about. He could do that, and he's willing to do that this morning. It may be that you say, Drew, I, I know that I'm a believer, but I'm run down. I'm really struggling with some different things in my life. Can I ask you a question? How much time have you been in the Word lately? And that's not the end-all, be-all. I know there's other things that take place that cause issues, but that's one thing that will help. I know it will because I've seen it over and over and over and over again. If you're here today and you'd say, Drew, I need to talk with somebody. I need to pray with somebody. We're going to have ministers down front. You can come and respond. It may be that you need to just at your chair sit there and you begin to pray and ask God to give you the power and the strength that you need. Whatever it is, would you respond to God and whatever he's calling you to respond to? I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. And as we stand... Let me pray for us, and we'll begin to have an invitation. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you've given us grace, that you showed us that very act of love that we didn't deserve, that we've sang about already today. Lord, help us to see that we need to continually pursue you. It's not a one-time event in our life. It is a moment that we continually chase after you every day of our life. Help us to do that. Lord, if there's anybody here today that needs you, specific way would you use this time to speak to their hearts and have them experience satisfaction in you we ask this jesus in your name let's sing you come